This is Jason Dennington from the Nonprofit Hour Show by the Media Institute for Social Change. On our show on Monday, November 16th, we featured the HHH Foundation and Notes of Hope with our guests Becky Bronstein and Jenny Conley. The Notes of Hope event was a benefit concert that was held the previous Friday, and it featured music and storytellers to benefit the HHH Foundation in memory of Hugh Housen and Bethany Hartung. It's an organization that raises money for the OHSU Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program. As part of that Nonprofit Hour show, we featured some of the music and storytellers that were part of the live event at the Alberta Rose Theatre. There were so many great performances that night, however, it became difficult to actually narrow down a selection that had to fit into the show. So we decided to include all of the full and unedited performances here on our SoundCloud page. Please be aware that in some circumstances, unedited does mean that there may be language that we were unable to include in our broadcast on air. For myself, one of the most meaningful parts of attending the event was hearing the storytellers share their experiences with the audience. Here is one of those storytellers now, Gabe Ballard. That was amazing. We have another storyteller that is about to come out. He is incredible. He is so inspirational. You are going to be inspired by this story, and you are going to absolutely love him. Please make some noise nice and loud for Gabe Ballard. Um, thank you. I am a normal guy. Uh, I grew up here in the Portland area, native Oregonian. Did a brief six-year stint in college. Graduated from the University of Oregon. Go Ducks. I also hate cancer more than the sound of my voice coming through this PA, so that's why I'm here. Here's my story. Um, I've been struck by lightning twice. I have two birthdays. My second child is technically older than my first, and my third child is named after a stranger in Germany. I'll explain. So I was 25, uh, had everything going for me. I got married the year before to my high school sweetheart, Kristen. We bought our first home, got my first real job. I stayed active, played soccer, skied, ran, golfed, um, even played drums in a band, much like the Decembrists. <laughs> Only nothing like the Decembrists. <laughs> Not nearly as cool or successful. Um, anyway, so my, my wife and I, uh, we had our average concerns about life and, and work, uh, you know, what restaurant to eat at next, important stuff. Uh, it was the spring of 2002. I played soccer on a men's team, and I remember one time going up for a header against a guy, and I hit my arm against him. Um, it hurt, and it was really bad, not the normal kind of pain. So I thought I broke it, and I uh, ended up at urgent care, and they took x-rays and went to a, another orthopedic, actually put it in a cast, 
And then he eventually referred me to a specialist to which I met the doctor there with Kristen. And she pointed to a large mass in the MRI that they saw. And she said bluntly, I can tell it's malignant. You want to take a moment? Uh, the whole exam room I mean, at that time just kind of spun around on me, and I kind of got that weird uh, out-of-body experience where I'm looking down on myself, staring at the floor, and I just remember thinking, well, this is not good. This isn't good. Um, after the appointment, Kristen drove me back to my work. Uh, I worked for a small golf manufacturer here in Portland called Pine Meadow Golf, and I went there with the idea that, you know, at this point... I. I need to resign. Uh, it was going to be impossible with treatment and everything else to keep doing what I was doing. So I walked into my boss's office and I told him, he was the owner, and I said, it's osteosarcoma, it's bone cancer, they think. I think I also may have muttered the words, I'm fucked. Um, <laughs> I'd only been there a few months, but I knew I just couldn't be doing what I had been doing, so... I thought it was the right thing to resign. And he was supportive. He listened to my explanations, um, followed me all the way through, and then finally turned to me and said, I don't accept the resignation. You're not quitting, and you're going to get through this. Apparently he was also a psychic. (laughs) Part-time dabbler in oncology, maybe. I don't know. For the next nine months, I went through nine rounds of chemo, three surgeries, on my left wrist, um, they put a cadaver bone in the ulna. That's this bone, for those of you that aren't doctors. And I went up to the University of Washington for surgeries and back down to Portland for chemo. Uh, it was like being in a pretty bad dream um, and something I never wanted to experience again, obviously. Uh, my wife was amazingly supportive. Uh, friends and family always had my back. And my company never questioned uh, my recovery. They continued to pay my salary. Uh, They let me show up on chemo, uh, high on whatever drugs I was on. And they dismissed, luckily, uh, most of the crazy ideas I put forth. (laughs) When you go through multiple rounds of chemo, there is always a chance that it takes away your reproductive ability. And so I was told there was a pretty good chance I'd be infertile. And it may or may not come back. But luckily, before I started chemo, I had someone step in and help me bank my sperm. It's my (laughs) mother-in-law. Well, anyways, I made my donation um, about 10 days after being diagnosed. So along with the trauma of being diagnosed, I had to put together a weak attempt to sadly preserve my swimmers at a doctor's office. Um, But I recovered. I got my life back. I felt invincible. A couple years later, my wife and I talked about having our first child. I knew I had the option of my banked reserves, so no problem. But instead, we had a big surprise. So in January of 2005, my wife came to me with a pink line in the pregnancy test. She was pregnant. My swimmers were back. I really felt invincible now. So, I mean, yeah, I was glad that we were going to have a baby, but I was productive again at something. Um, so, later that year, 
uh, in September, Kristen gave birth to our son, Caden. And obviously, I was on top of the world and just excited to be able to hold that little guy. So I, at that point, had been cancer-free for over three years. I uh, was working for the same company, traveling a lot for a job I loved. Um, I was really starting to get into a groove. Um, I, it was a winter, so I had been fighting a little bit of a cold and a flu that time. And I was also happened to be traveling for a trade show in Reno. So I ever spent a day more than Reno, um, yeah, you know, it's awesome. I think actually Reno is depression spelled backwards, but I'm not <laughs> sure. So I got a call from my physician and he said, uh, he'd like to see me tomorrow. I said, well, I'm out of town. Look, if there's something I can do, I've been through everything. Don't worry. Uh, just tell me. Just level with me. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And so I was on the phone with him. He hesitated and he said, well, there may be a chance of acute myeloid leukemia. I said, I'm on the phone. That's rude. Don't tell me that. So this time I was in a hotel room. Uh, had the same odd feeling of being outside myself and just kind of looking down at the floor of the Atlantis Casino hotel room with awful floral print carpet. And I thought to myself, well, this is, this is great. I'm going to go all in on red tonight. So fast forward another week, I end up at OHSU. And I had a great doctor, Dr. Kovacevic, Dr. K. And he was pretty distant and pretty cold at first and didn't really want to talk about anything like odds of survival. Or um, He just simply said, look, if with the previous cancer and your current diagnosis, transplants with maybe 50%. If I didn't have transplants, uh, survival would be less than 20%. So all stats aside, my, my body was shutting down and the ability to produce blood cells uh, was diminishing rapidly. Um, but there was hope. Uh, with a donor that matched up with my DNA, the odds would be a lot better. And the best chance would be my full sibling. I have one full sibling, one sister, Carmen. And I knew if I asked her, she'd be there in a heartbeat. So... Um, but there's only 25% chance that she'd be the match with my HLA typing. So she took the test, and we waited for the results. And she didn't match. Um, but the team at OHSU went to work quickly with uh, the National Marrow Donor Program, and they keep a database of all the marrow donors uh, across the world, in fact. And so they did find a 12 for 12 match, which is the highest match you can get with an 18-year-old male in Germany. I was relieved to just have a match. Um, and let's be honest, to have to hear every birthday or Thanksgiving about how she saved my life. <laughs> Come on. So, I remember asking the, another doctor at that point, how do you get... Leukemia. How does this come on? What, what brings this about? What did I do? And he said, stop whining. And then he said, you've basically been struck by lightning twice. So, uh, in the beginning of summer of 2006, I ended up at the hospital on the hill. My transplant came in a little cooler carried across the world by a volunteer. They fly commercial, by the way. 
And she delivered the marrow all the way from the transplant center in Germany to a hospital room in Portland. It was a bag of blood, nothing too crazy. And um, my donor did have a very high level of capability, compatibility with my typing. I was just relieved and fortunate to have a full match donor available. So I did catch a glimpse of the girl as she left uh, carrying my lifeline in an igloo. And then I promptly fell back asleep in the hospital bed. So some guy on the other side of the world is getting poked and prodded, taking drugs to stimulate the marrow inside his bloodstream, and then collected days before I'm getting my immune system completely wiped out by a random assortment of drugs. The timing for this process is critical. And I had to basically bring my cells back after the transfusion and go from no immune system and no energy to a fully German-engineered, recharged <laughs> person, minus the Volkswagen hiccup with the, the diesel bypass thing. And it was Bastille Day, uh, July 14th, 2006. So I celebrate that as my second birthday. And thank you. I recovered. My body began to get uh, normal again with a mix of steroids and some other medications, one to counteract this and the other one to balance out that. And I drove to work and I remember pulling over from the battle they were having inside the stomach. And um, I was in the clinic every other day to track counts and make sure my chemistries were right or within normal range, whatever normal range meant anymore. Um, I was 30 and I was reduced to a life of being treated like a human lab rat um, while waiting patiently in exam rooms day after day. And I was getting mad, actually. Um, at that period, it took about 18 months to where I finally came back to being normal. Whatever. Um, a couple of years after transplant, my wife and I were thinking about having another child. Um, based on the fact I was told earlier that now, now you're 90% sure you're not going to have a child. You're, you're sterile. I went to OHSU for a much happier reason. We met with a doctor that used my reserves from before in 2002, and we did in vitro. So bear with me. I have to do a little bit of math here. But in June of 2009, my wife gave birth to our second child, Paige, beautiful baby girl, and she's modern science's little miracle. But she's technically older than the first. I haven't told her yet. So for young adults, it's not something you typically uh, think about, especially if you're worried about just staying on this side of the ground. But having the option to have a child is a big deal. And having survived now and being in my 30s, I, I wanted the option to do that. So I was really glad that that option was available to me. And... About the same time that Paige was born, I signed a release form to release my information to the donor center over in Germany. And the donor in Germany released his information as well. So I basically found out his name was Christoph, and he was from a small town near the Czech Republic in Germany. And I went on with my life. I had a couple of young kids now. My life was getting back to normal. And then Kristen and I had a, another surprise. Uh, unbeknownst to me, my swimmers came back again. 
So two years after Paige was born, my wife gave birth to our third baby boy, and we named him Accident. At, I mean, <laughs> Adam Kristoff. He was beautiful. We love him, like our own son. And I guess I kind of put off thinking about what it would be like uh, to meet Kristoff. Um, ultimately, who I shared the same genetic code with, uh, the same blood code. But in August of this year, um, he decided that he wanted to come to the United States for the first time. And so he did that with his girlfriend, Senta. And they landed in Seattle. And so we met them there. And it was a little awkward at first. I didn't know how to react. And I suppose they thought that they would be here to see cowboys and honky-tonk bars because they told me they wanted to see cowboys and honky-tonk bars. (laughs) And I told them, Portland isn't quite the Wild West that they expect to see, but I'll do my best to show them around. And so it's difficult to know how you're going to react to someone that ultimately gave you the ability to save your own life. I don't know. Um, But... We had an amazing five days. He's super modest, easygoing. Um, We explored Seattle. Um, We went to a rodeo in Central Oregon. (laughs) Saw some cowboys. Uh, We went to Hood River. We watched a baseball game, got drunk in Hillsboro. And actually met up with close friends and family, even my nurses, Jackie and Amber. And they all got to meet him. So I'm just forever grateful that the people who were there to support me, care for, and uh, who brought me back. Um, I'm 39 now. I have three beautiful children. I have a beautiful wife, who is the love of my life. And I just finished the Portland Marathon last month for the first time. Yeah, please do not look up my name and my time. Just doesn't... Just I finished. Um, still play soccer. My golf game still sucks. And I play music, and I'm just grateful to be here. Um, here's the thing I found. There is zero, there is no good age, and there is no real point in your life where it's okay to have cancer. I hated it. And I hate all that it's taken away from so many. Um, but... I love being here, and I love all the crap that it entails, and it's worth it to be here. Um, I never wanted the experience to define me. I never want the title of cancer boy or cancer guy. Um, The disease is not who I am. I'm a normal guy. Thank you. What a show off. (laughs) Wasn't he incredible? Gay ballad, everybody. Keep it going. Let him in. Once again, that was one of the performances from the Notes of Hope Benefit Concert for the HHH Foundation at the Alberta Rose Theatre on November 13th. 
If you'd like to find out more about the annual Notes of Hope concert or the HHH Foundation, and to find out how you can donate and help the cause, you can visit notesofhopepdx.org.